Amen. As we prepare to turn to our scripture this morning, uh, first a brief word of introduction. Uh, We'll be reading uh, from the first chapter of John, verses 1 to 5. Uh, This is kind of John's Christmas story. Uh, John's John's gospel is different from the others. John loves things that are abstract and symbolic. And so uh, John's Christmas story doesn't give us shepherds or angels or wise men. It doesn't give us uh, a manger. Um, John's uh, Christmas story is is far more abstract. But we'll be reading John's uh, account of Christmas nonetheless uh, from John 1 verses 1 to 5. But before we turn to God's word, let's go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your many gifts. We thank you today for the gift of your word. We give you thanks for each of the gospels, for the different ways they approach uh, the wonderful good news. As we turn to uh, the book of John this morning, we ask that you would be here with us. We ask that your spirit who inspired the writing of these words would inspire our hearing. We ask that you would be with us, that you would, um, you would open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our lives, that we might come to know who you are and who you are calling us to be. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Listen to the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we reflect now on the Christmas story from John, we ask that you would be here with us wherever we are. We ask that you would help us to come to know who you are and who you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The new year is finally here. We always look forward to uh, the new year, but I think we've been looking forward to this new year in a way unlike any before it. And finally, this new year has come. Last year is over, and the new year is beginning. Thanks be to God. We are standing at the beginning of a new year. And uh, this is such a fascinating time because although uh, New Year's Eve has come and gone and New Year's Day has come and gone, we still haven't quite gotten back into um, our, our new normal rhythms. Uh, work may have started, but it's not quite back into full swing. Schools haven't all started yet. As we heard earlier in the service, uh, all of our um, uh, gatherings and fellowship groups and educational opportunities will be beginning uh, really as, as soon as this service ends. So we're still kind of in that in-between space. The new year has come, but we haven't quite gotten into it yet. And I, I love this in-between time. We talked about that a little bit last week. I, I just adore this space between what was and what will be. This time for us to, 
to remember what good things there were last year, to say goodbye to any of the pain or the hardship, and to, to look ahead to the blessings that are headed this direction in this coming year. And at this moment, as we stand in between, to, to take a break. And so I, I like for us, as we take this break together, to engage in that one final Christmas tradition, uh, the tradition I like to think of as the Christmas trial. Now, I explained this in some depth last week, but in short, uh, Christians every year, we conduct this trial of the Christmas creatures and characters. We, we accuse Rudolph and the Grinch and Linus and, and Frosty the Snowman of stealing Christmas from Christ. But it's, it's not true. Uh, these stories that we return to year after year have uh, become such an important part of our celebrations, specifically because they point us back to Christ. Rudolph and the Grinch and Frosty and Linus, these are all stories that, that remind us of who Jesus Christ is and who Jesus Christ calls us to be. These are, they're, they're more like Christmas missionaries or Christmas parables. They tell us a gospel story in a new way. And so I like to defend the Christmas characters, the Christmas creatures, in this in-between time. And last week, we began our defense of um, one of the, the most enduring Christmas traditions, one of the most enduring Christmas stories, uh, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. It's a story we've told for uh, the better part of 200 years. And if it was able to endure that long, surely there's a good bit of gospel in this story. And last week, we defended uh, Ebenezer Scrooge's nephew, Fred. We talked about how he shows us what it means to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But of course, as we wrapped up our defense of Fred, we were left scratching our heads thinking about Ebenezer Scrooge himself. And so this week, I'd like to continue my defense of A Christmas Carol by shifting our focus away from Fred and towards Ebenezer Scrooge himself. I believe that Ebenezer Scrooge is a walking, talking parable. I believe that Scrooge is a retelling of the gospel story. I believe that Ebenezer Scrooge is a Christmas missionary. But to illustrate it, we'll have to look at the evidence, which means we'll have to sift through the movies and the plays, and I think focus perhaps um, especially on Dickens' own account of Ebenezer Scrooge on his original writing of A Christmas Carol. It begins with Ebenezer Scrooge, comfortable. Uh, Scrooge was quite comfortable at the beginning of the story. It opens in cold, silent darkness in Scrooge's counting house. And he's, he's actually counting his money while he mistreats his employee. And right away, we may be tempted to think about a scriptural parallel with Lazarus and the rich man, that story from, from Luke 16. But let's not go there yet. There's a lot of story left. And so as Ebenezer Scrooge counts his money and mistreats his employee, we are introduced to the darkness of Scrooge's workplace. And we find that his, his workplace is so cold and so quiet and so dark, in part because uh, he refuses to use coal to fuel the fires. There's uh, very little warmth in his office because he doesn't like the fire to grow. And so that, that cold, tiny fire, we're told, is both colder and dimmer than a single candle. And as we discover just how deep the darkness is in Scrooge's workplace, suddenly we're interrupted by Fred, Scrooge's nephew, who bursts in to offer Scrooge a blessing and a prayer. 
And at this moment, we have to stop for a second and realize just how bad Scrooge is. He is awful. Uh, the, the way the narrator describes Scrooge, Scrooge is a, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. What a great description. Uh, this is not someone you want to invite to dinner. This is not someone you want to spend time with. He's He's synonymous with with sin. I mean, even today, if you call someone Scrooge, it's not a compliment. The name Scrooge has been uh, become a synonymous with that specific kind of of despicable behavior. He's not someone you want to spend time with, which is why it's so strange when his nephew Fred offers a blessing and a prayer and invites Scrooge to join him for Christmas dinner. And Scrooge is so upset that his cold, silent darkness has been interrupted. Scrooge meets this blessing and prayer with a curse. And he throws Fred back out into the street. He wants nothing to do with this Christmas joy. And as uh, Fred is escorted uh, back out onto the street, he, he does so um, uh, offering blessings and a Merry Christmas all the way. And finally, we return to the cold, silent darkness of Scrooge's office. And the narrator describes that darkness in further detail with every page. We're told that the, uh, the streets across, or the houses across the street, are so dim and foggy they appear almost as phantoms. And as Scrooge walks home surrounded by these phantoms in this fog, the darkness seems to deepen. And he finally gets home, and when he opens the door, we find that it's even colder, quieter, and darker in Scrooge's home. And he, he sits down quite literally at home in cold, silent darkness. And we now begin to suspect that this darkness means more than the level of brightness in the room. If uh, we hadn't picked up on it before, at this point we finally realize that our narrator is using darkness as something of a metaphor. You see, I mean, real, literal darkness can be beautiful. A darkness is inevitable, and as it happens, necessary. We, we like darkness. When we sleep, we, we don't use floodlights. Darkness can bring a lot of important things into our lives, but the darkness in this story is different. This is a, it's a symbol of something else. The darkness that Scrooge seems to cling to is a symbol of, of cruelty, hatred, anger, fear, despair. In one word, it's sin. And as Scrooge sits down, comfortable and at ease in this sin he clings to so tightly, the narrator explains a very important phrase, darkness is cheap. And Scrooge liked it. And if you had any question in your mind as to whether this was an endearing character, it is banished at this moment as we're told that Scrooge has spent so much time surrounded by cruelty, he has become comfortable with cruelty. He has spent so much time hating the people around him, he is at home in hatred. He has spent so much time immersed in anger that he has become accustomed to anger. He's been so much time with with fear that he is now familiar with fear. He has spent so much time in despair, he has come to depend on his despair. He is at home in his sin. Scrooge is quite comfortable in the first pages of the book. 
but not for long. Because, of course, as Scrooge gets more and more comfortable, we uh, find that he's interrupted yet again, this time by a ghost, the ghost of his old partner, Jacob Marley. And it's almost as if Marley appears as an answer to Fred's prayer that Scrooge might have a Merry Christmas, that God might save Scrooge. But whenever he appears, uh, Marley comes to Scrooge and tells him to expect a visit from three spirits that evening. And Scrooge is then uh, confronted by the first spirit who appears in a flash of light, once more piercing the darkness. And as Scrooge stares at this first spirit, the spirit is it's very strange. Uh, the, the narrator tries to describe this being who seems to radiate light from its head. It's almost a, like an appearance of an angel. And as Scrooge sees the light radiating from this first spirit, his, his impulse is to cover the light, is uh, to, to douse the brightness, almost like, like putting a, a bushel basket on top of a lamp. And here again, we're tempted to go back to Scripture and to read that story about hiding a lamp under a bushel basket in Matthew 5. But not yet. Hold on. There's more to the story. And Scrooge wants to hide the light, but the spirit resists and instead takes Scrooge on a tour of his own past. This ghost of Christmas past introduces Scrooge to the realities of his past and to the light that had surrounded him throughout his life, to the bright moments, the spots of, 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 of love and of, of hope and of forgiveness and of mercy and of peace. And as Scrooge comes to, to, to wrestle with the reality of his past, uh, the vision ends and he's greeted by a second spirit, the, the, the spirit of, of Christmas present. And once again, the spirit appears enveloped in light. And it's a giant carrying a torch. And as this giant now takes Scrooge throughout the streets and introduces Scrooge to the, to the truth of his present, uh, Scrooge realizes all the little shining spots around him, uh, both far and near. And everywhere they go, the spirit seems to, to sprinkle little shimmering shards of light, and they bring hope and joy and peace and love wherever they go. And Scrooge uh, is, is uh, forced to face people near and far, like, like his nephew Fred or like his employee Bob Cratchit, and he sees the warmth and the joy and the light of their lives, but then that vision comes to an end. And Scrooge is confronted by the third spirit. Now, this third spirit is quite different. It doesn't appear in a flash of light. This spirit um, is shrouded in darkness. And this spirit is fundamentally different from the first two. The first spirit showed Scrooge the reality of his past. The second spirit showed Scrooge the truth of the present. But this third spirit shows Scrooge a fictional future. It's very important that we understand what this spirit shows Scrooge is not the future. It does not come to pass. This is, in fact, described as as a shadow of the future, a darker version of reality. And as Scrooge uh, witnesses this, this shadow of the future, once again, the vision comes to an end, and Scrooge finds that something in him has has changed. He goes to the window. He throws open the window as as sunlight streams into his home. He sticks out his head and he begins to do something we have not seen through the rest of the story. He begins to laugh. And the narrator describes Scrooge's laugh with very specific words. The narrator tells us that Scrooge's laugh is splendid. It's brilliant. It's illustrious. Words of light. 
It's as if there's a shining light coming out of and infusing into Scrooge's laughter as he looks out into the world around him. And then he goes from the window and he he goes out the front door and he emerges from his home almost like a new person. It's almost as if he's been reborn or born again. And here we're maybe tempted to go to John 3, but the story's not over. As Scrooge emerges, born again, he walks out into this new world, and we're told that it's as if Scrooge himself begins to glow. And he goes, and he, he becomes a blessing to the Cratchit family, and he goes into the, to the warm, joyous light of Fred's dinner, and Fred welcomes him with open arms, shocked to see his prayers answered in front of his eyes. And they celebrate Christmas together, and then the story takes us back to the place where it started. The story takes us back to Scrooge's office. It takes us back to the cold, silent darkness. But not for long. Because the very final action of the story, the the very last words uh, spoken of dialogue, come from the mouth of Scrooge as he sits in the cold, silent darkness of his office and he instructs Bob Cratchit to build a bigger fire. And we know at this moment that Scrooge truly has changed. We know at this moment that he really has been reborn. We know at this moment that a light will shine in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. And there it is. The story of Ebenezer Scrooge is the story of John 1. This is not a secular story. This is not a silly story. This is not a tradition story. This is a Bible story. This is a gospel story. This is the Christmas story. Light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. In fact, this is the story of the entire Bible. If you open your Bible and look at Genesis chapter 1, we find that the beginning, there was darkness. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. And God speaks and says, let there be light. And then we read throughout Genesis as the light comes, and we read throughout the rest of the books of the Bible till we get to Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, and the last scene we find ourselves with a tree and a river and eternal light. No need for lamps or lanterns anymore because God alone will illumine everything and there is no more night. The story of the Bible is the story of moving from darkness into light. It is a story of darkness that will never overcome the light because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot, has not, and will not overcome it. This is the good news of the gospel from Ebenezer Scrooge. And this is the good news of the gospel that we need to hear this year, perhaps more than ever before. Because it doesn't really matter how long you've been in the darkness. It doesn't matter how long you've grown comfortable experiencing cruelty. Or how long you've felt at home with hatred. How long you've grown accustomed to anger. How long you've grown familiar with fear. It doesn't matter how long you've come to depend on despair. Whether it's been a day or a week or a month or a really long year. The good news of the gospel is that a light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. The good news of the gospel is that cruelty can never overcome love. The good news of the gospel is that hatred can never overcome forgiveness. The good news of the gospel is that anger can never comprehend, can never overtake, can never conquer 
mercy. The good news of the gospel is that fear can never overcome peace. The good news of the gospel is that despair can never outshine hope because a light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Sin can never overtake redemption because the good news of the gospel is that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again no matter what happened last year, no matter what's coming this coming year. The good news of the gospel is the light will never be overcome by darkness. This is who we are. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is who we are called to be, a people who gather together and speak to a world that has walked in darkness for far too long and speak a word of hope, speak a word of love, speak a word of mercy, speak a word of peace, speak a word of light. And that's what we do when we gather together. That's what we do when we huddle around our televisions and tablets and telephones. That's what we do when we come into our sanctuary distanced or masked. That's what we do when we join together for our educational opportunities. That's what we do when we support the ministries of this church. That's what we do as Christians who follow Jesus Christ. We bear witness to a light that shines in the darkness. And so I rest my case. Ebenezer Scrooge is a Christmas missionary who is here to proclaim a message we desperately need to hear this year. Yes, sometimes the world is dark. But the good news of the gospel is that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not, cannot, and will not overcome it. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, thanks be to God. Amen.